Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. It's going to get Miria up. We're going to continue through our, um, our series in Ephesians. We're reading today from Ephesians 5, 1 to 21. Thanks, Miria. Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must be... But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Your fruit of light, sorry. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything expressed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another in reverence for Christ. As I said, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and we are continuing to move through our series in Ephesians today, looking at chapter 5. This letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul, um, which in its first three chapters looks at the heart of the gospel story that we have all been included in one family in Jesus. And then in its second half, talks about what this looks to live this life out as followers of Christ, how the gospel story is lived out in our story, 
And today we're looking at chapter 5, as I said, and there's um, so much in this passage that I'm not going to pretend or even try to even say that I'm pulling out every single little bit. There is so much. You're going to probably get to the end of today and go, but he didn't talk about this, and oh, but he didn't talk about that, and what about this, and what about that? There is a lot in here, and I'm not going to pretend to do every bit and do every bit with complete justice. But my hope is that as we talk about today, we'll get the overall heart of what Paul is trying to say and that the Holy Spirit will speak to us and maybe help us to figure out what parts of this really particularly speak to us as individuals. The passage begins with these words, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave, up, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is really similar, actually, to the beginning of the previous chapter, uh, which Reuben lent into a little bit and Beck um, the, the week before, where Paul begins this whole second half of this section with, As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What Paul is saying here in this moment, the beginning of five, and what he is saying at the beginning of chapter four is that everything begins with a life that is based on what Jesus did on the cross. It's like he goes, okay, so I've brought it up at the beginning of chapter four, and then I'm going to talk about a whole bunch of ways of how to live that out. And now I'm going to take a breather again for just a moment to get us to look again back towards the cross. It's almost like he knows what we are like. We kind of go, well, what is, what is this meant to look like? And we can get stuck in the things and the little bits and the little sentences about do not do this or do that. And he's saying, yes, that is all very important, but I need to drag you back again because if you're anything like me, I need to remind you that first we live in the grace of Jesus. That we are called to walk in the way of of love. This isn't about restrictions. This is about what Christ has done, the freedom that he has brought us. That we walk in the way of love first, as John puts in his first letter, because God first loved us. Our calling, this life worthy of the calling that we've received, our first calling is as beloved children of God. It's Jesus himself who says, that greater love has no one than this, than to lay your life down for one's friends. And that is what Paul is saying he did here, that the greatest statement of all time, the, the greatest hand of friendship from God, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the fact that God came incarnate as one of us. There is no greater statement of how much God is for us, that he is willing to be us and lead us into a new future because of his love for us. And Paul describes his life given up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And Paul, so Paul is beginning today, beginning and helping us to begin today by looking first and stopping first and saying, this is all about love. This is all about walking in the way of love and living a life of light, living a life that speaks of the incredible calling that we have been given in Jesus. Therefore, what we do matters. Because what Christ did 
matters. If this was about some sort of nice theological statement, then why would Christ have to do anything? But instead, he's led the way in the doing that we might follow. What we do matters because what Christ did matters. And what we imagine, what we envision, what we dream matters because what Jesus lived for matters. What he envisioned matters. He spoke and taught us to pray for what? For thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That is, that's, that's a vision. That is a picture that was yet to be fulfilled. So what we imagine in our life matters because what Jesus imagined for the world matters and then having the spirit matters because in every moment in his ministry Jesus did that in step in relationship with the Holy Spirit in fact Romans 8 says this really bold claim where it says the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead can live in us And so in this passage, Paul continues by pointing us to the way that we live by our walk because it matters. How we live changes things. Just how Jesus lived changed the whole world. And so it's not a spiritual or intellectual exercise. It's not a personal opinion or a purely kept personal faith behind closed doors. It's a way of doing. It's a way of imagining. It's a way of living in the spirit as light in the darkness. And I want to be as bold as to say that what we did yesterday, how we vote, that matters. Because it matters because God would want us to do that in step with the conviction that he has placed on our heart. That we don't just do it because everyone has to do it, but we go, Lord, I want to vote as you would lead me to vote. In Romans 12, verse 1, Paul puts it another way. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. I want to stop there for a sec. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will in view of God's mercy. What we do matters. Later in this chapter of Ephesians, Paul too talks about the transformed life that he mentioned just before in Romans 12. But I want to focus on that first verse of Romans 12, that in the view of God's mercy, that we offer our body as living sacrifice, holy, set apart and pleasing to God. He says this is our true and our proper worship. And he is saying this too in today's passage from Ephesians 5, that in the light of God's mercy, we need to offer our bodies, offer our doing in the light of God's mercy, not in the light as sometimes we can get trapped into thinking of God's judgment, but because of his mercy. This isn't about telling us what not to do, but it's telling us what can be. That when we get stuck in these old ways of thinking, we are stuck in something that only brings death and destruction. And he has to talk about these things, but actually what the heart of what Paul is trying to say is, remember, first and foremost, we are people saved by the grace and the love of God. 
And we are called to walk in a way of love. And it doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like this. The challenge is because of God's love. Now, I wanted to be clear on this, and I think I've been fairly clear. Because of what Paul moves on to next in verse 3, and it's pretty uncomfortable reading, I think, where he writes, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Paul moves on from the beauty and the grace of God, these beautiful two verses that are really easy to kind of swallow in the beginning of Ephesians, and jarringly drums straight into talking about sexual sin and greed. Many theologians um, actually say that in Greek, um, and maybe Chris can probably speak into this a little bit more, but um, in which it was written, it's written in such a way that actually kind of places the greatest emphasis on the word greed, but all three things are still mentioned just the same. And I think as, as the church, we can be really picky on certain things. We can pick each of these things and say, this is the most important, this is the most important, this is the most important. And we like to try to avoid the greed part because we all kind of like to share in this kind of, well, we want what we want, right? We like to have what we want to have. But he's, he's brought this in as being at least equal to the other two things that are mentioned. And he does this because what we do matters. And we can't talk. Paul brings us in after talking about this beautiful verse. He brings us in because we can't talk about the human condition. We can't talk about any culture without talking about these things. Is he talking about these things because God hates us or is angry with us? Because God wants to hold things from us? No. He's bringing these up because God loves us. Because God knows what is best for human flourishing. Because God's dream is shalom, that reconciliation and that wholeness. His dream is so powerful and so strong, fueled by his love that he gave his all and held nothing back from us. And so Paul is saying these things are improper for God's holy people. Why? Because at the foundation of sexual sin and of greed is that desire that we can all have the self first. Now, it might not manifest itself in one way, but it might manifest itself in another. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, and in fact, Genesis puts it right at the beginning, in chapter 3, that there is this something within humans that we want to put our self first, that we somehow believe, as we read in chapter 3 of Genesis, that God is holding something back from us. We want to put ourselves first. We want self-gratification. We want self-security. We want the opposite of what we see on the cross, this selfless love. But instead, Paul is encouraging us here to allow the work of the cross to speak into our nature and into our experience. Because we are all so dearly loved by God, how we treat each other, how we view each other, the perspective we have on every single person in our lives, the perspective we have on the world that he has given us, the perspective we have on everything matters. How we treat 
each other in all different types of relationships, how deeply we respect, how, how much we give dignity to other people, how we cherish and invest into covenant relationships like marriage, how we value each other, how loosely we hold on to possessions that really are gifts from God anyway and wealth. These things point to how much we know God values us and God values others. You know, unfortunately, I think that we've all experienced some sort of negative experience from the distortion of God's good plan for the beauty of creation, for the sinful use of creation's resource, or maybe very personally for you, it's a sense of you being turned into an object for someone else, someone else's gain, something for someone else to reject something for someone else to use. And maybe we have allowed, I know I have in my past, allowed others to allow that value that someone has placed on me to shape me, to be at the first place of my life instead of what Christ has done. Maybe we've allowed it to give us identity and to determine our worth. I think we've all seen, we'd all know someone, probably seen it in ourselves, how destructive this can be, how incredibly demeaning it can be, how incredibly life-altering it can be. And one of the most powerful ways this can happen, of course, is in the most intimate of relationships. Sexuality, this gift that was given from God at creation for intimacy, for creating family, for creating a bond with someone, for a lifelong, sacrificial, covenant relationship. We've seen the damage that can happen when this begins to be distorted. Maybe it's entered into already distorted or becomes distorted by selfishness and sin. We've seen the destruction that can happen in people's lives, that sense of grief, that sense of loss, that sense of not knowing who they are anymore. You know, in the ancient world, which Paul is speaking into, people who come from this past, sexuality was used for worship and for power and for property and for pleasure. You know, it was the first, the Jews, and then the Christians that spoke a radical dignity into the world around the idea of sexuality. We've all seen what greed can do. We've all seen what distorted sexuality can do to our world, to us, to our relationships, to our neighbours, to our families, to our friends, to our children, to the lives of those we love. And so we know, we know that what we do, that what people do matters. So what we do, Paul is saying, as a people wholly and truly loved by God, who gave his all for us, it matters. It's a light into darkness. Paul continues on by saying what we say matters too. And maybe sometimes it's what we choose not to say that matters. Paul talks about sanity and foolish talk and coarse joking. joking why? And I was reading about this um, and N.T. Wright has this amazing um, perspective that I wanted to share today that the reason why saying these things can be so destructive is because they spark the imagination. 
I know what it's like to be in a banter with someone and you want to say things and you want to be the funniest. You have to imagine something. You have to engage the brain to make it happen. And what we imagine matters. What we say matters because it speaks into the world that we participate in. It changes the imagination of others around us and it changes our own imagination. Our imagination is incredibly powerful. The way we think is incredibly powerful. It fuels our drive. We only have to look as we drive down the road and we see the big word S-E-X on the billboard to, to know that that's there because it grabs people's attention and focus. If you drive around places like Mount Barker, you'll see these images of these beautiful fields with happy families and these massive billboard photos. Usually the photo behind them is a photo of what it used to look like, but now that developers have got in there, it's now just mud. There's none of those trees, there's none of those lakes, there's none of those kangaroos left. But they project this image of the good life and people lap it up and want to buy it, even if they have to live so far from the city. I know too, as a designer, the power of a good 3D to be able to take someone around a house and show them this and show them that. Be able to go, oh, you can see their brain just switch on. The imagination is powerful. And words have power too. Great speeches like Martin Luther King's Jr. I have a dream, he said. And his most often quoted line, I believe it's his most often quoted line, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. These words, they ring on in generations, inspiring his own generation and new generations, decades, decades after his sermon was preached. I believe it was so long ago that people used to live in black and white. That's what it looks like to me anyway. But these words, they ring on because they spark something in us. And it's words like the ones I've just said by Martin Luther King Jr. that I believe are actually based in what we're talking about today. The light of God, being the light of God. And so Paul says, instead of these words, speak thankfulness. Stroke that imagination. It's why we sing the songs that we sing. We have them up on the screen. And we read that words that Miriam says so often, God is still on the throne. And when we read them, we go, yes, he is still on the throne. When we speak thankfulness, we stoke that imagination and we remind ourselves, we picture the light of grace that is true. It is the truth. We picture it and we speak it out on our lives and on our relationships. As a guy, um, one of the things that really bugs me and I've continually experienced as a married person is the way that some people will talk to me, maybe it's the gym or somewhere else, they'll talk to me about their spouse. They'll talk to me, they'll have a big kind of whinge session or they'll make these comments, they'll say, oh, I've got to go home to the bull and chain. Like we say like little comments like that all the time. I've also experienced other married men kind of noticing other women around, oh, look at her, blah, 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 blah. Like these things bug me and they bug me because of what Paul is saying today. How can you have a flourishing relationship 
How can you enjoy the intimacy with someone if you talk about, if you stoke your imagination in that way, both positively and negative? How can you, like, what are you, if you are thinking about other people, how can that, how can you cut that off when you get home? If you are whinging about someone in your life, how can you just stop thinking like that when times get hard? Our imagination is stoked by the words that we say, by the things that we choose to think. And it's the same way that we might talk about our family, our wider family, or our church family, or our neighbourhoods. It's a way that we speak, it's a way we can speak about the world around us, the way we can speak about life. You know, the most encouraging thing, I think, when I talked to Beck, who was here a couple of weeks ago, and she talks about the neighbourhood that she works in, and yeah, she's really honest about the things that she sees. One of the things that really inspires me the most is what she, not what she sees in the present, but what she's believing for in the future. When she sees someone come and their life is beginning to change and beginning to rethink, she is already imagined that might be possible and so she can celebrate that change when it happens, even in all the other hard times. And I really want to make that really clear because I'm not saying to pretend that things aren't, to pretend that things are great when they're not. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love rejoices in the truth. So I'm not saying to pretend, but what I'm saying is that Paul is challenging us to look at our lives and our relationships and the way we talk about things in the light of the new covenant, in the light of what Christ has done in our life. So what is sparking your imagination? Is it thanksgiving? Is it the potential for things for thy kingdom come? Is it God's goodness? Is it the truth of the gospel? Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform, as I read before, to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's in this way that we become the light in the Lord that Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 8. Ephesians 5, sorry, 8 to 10. We become the light because we know the light of Jesus. We're building our lives upon it. We become the light because what we do is projecting that light, reflecting the light of Christ out there. We become the light because we imagine and we share the vision of God's kingdom in every place, even the most broken of places. And we become the light as Ephesians 3.20, what we read only weeks ago, we become the light because of the power of his work within us by his spirit. And so Paul finishes this passage by saying some crucial things in the last verses. He says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul, yes, he's here talking about the danger of alcohol and the danger of influence of alcohol, but he is saying instead of running towards things like that, allow yourself again and again and again to be continually filled 
by the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy the Holy Spirit matters. It matters. Living a life in the Spirit matters. To be able to walk the way of love is a way that is one that is filled and needs to be continually filled by the Holy Spirit. And it's by the Spirit that we can reimagine that we can reimagine through thankfulness, that we can reimagine through songs and words that he places in our heart. It's by his spirit that we are able to submit to one another. And so it's by the filling of the spirit in our life daily that we become a light in the darkness, that we know the will of God as he renews our mind and that we live in relationship with him and we know the beauty of his grace. We know deeply his love for us and for the world. But he gives us a picture, a foretaste of the future kingdom, scripture tells us. It's by his spirit that we will be different by the way we think, by the renewing of our mind and be different by what we do and the way we do things, the way we submit and live humbly like we see Jesus on the cross. It's by his spirit that we are able to live together and live together well. You know, I believe we can't love our neighbour and our enemy consistently and continually with God's love unless we allow his love to pour into our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so I want to finish Again, by saying what Christ did, it changed everything. And so how we do life matters. How we reflect that change matters. How we imagine thy kingdom come matters. And so allowing his spirit to lead us, and to fill us, and to empower us, it matters. Because what Christ did changed everything. Let's pray. Lord, there is so much in these verses that I could have gone into. I could have gone, Lord, harder on some things. I could have brought a whole bunch of other stuff out. But Lord, in the end, I believe that you're wanting to encourage us about the world in which we live and the way that we live it out. That you're a God of the do and of the create that you're not wanting to hold things back from us, but you're wanting to guard us from things because they don't look like your kingdom. Because they only lead to death and they only lead to destruction. The Lord, living for you is a daily practice of submitting to your spirit. It's a daily practice of submitting to one another out of reverence. It's a daily practice of reimagining and rethinking and being careful about what we say and do but speaking out thankfulness speaking out your grace speaking out your love lord i thank you that what we do does matter that i get to participate in what you're doing and so lord i thank you that you've given me you've given each of us here the calling to live out the love that you've poured into us. Lord, I pray that if anyone here doesn't know that love, that right now by your spirit, that you would feel them, that they would know that love so incredibly deeply. The great thing here is, Lord, that Paul isn't 
condemning people for their past, but he is saying there is a better way to live, and that's his encouragement to us today. There is a better way to live. You've done it. It's finished. That old life is gone. We can step into a new future in you. We give you glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.